0: Hello and welcome to episode seven of Jungian Ever After, a podcast about fairy tales through the lens of Jungian analysis. I am your host, Raisa, and joining me, as always, is my co host and Jungian analyst, Dr. Adina Davidson. Today, we're going to start our two part coverage of Snow White. This first part will be digging into archetypal evil, while the second will center around anima and the images of the feminine. You're always the one who comes up with how we're splitting up these episode. So how did you come to that sort of split?
1: So I think my original, when I was thinking about Snow White, was this whole idea that you and I had actually talked about a little bit of, oh, we'll look at Grimm, and then we'll look at the Snow White movie, first animated movie ever from Disney. And then we'll look at the images of Snow in the TV show Once Upon a Time, which kind of was how you and I got involved in all of this in the first place, watching that together. And we'd look at how cultural images of the feminine have changed and what that said about how images of anima, of the inner feminine, may have changed. And I thought that was going to be enough for two episodes, and I still think it probably would be. But when I read through the story, the absolute evil of the evil queen, the stepmother, was just so striking to me that I just really wanted to spend some time talking about archetypal evil and what the difference is between archetypal evil and ordinary human shadow.
0: Yeah, I think it's very telling that of the Disney villains, this one is just known as the Evil Queen. For Sleeping Beauty, you've got Maleficent, there's Jafar, there's Ursula, right? They have names. This one, that first one, just the Evil Queen. And going through this story, it's a longer story for one, but it also felt a bit Odd to us because this is one of the most renowned fairy tales. And so we struggled a lot with this story.
1: Yeah, I was really surprised actually at how colorless everybody in the story except the evil queen felt. And again, that leads me back to that at least at one level, that's what this story is really about is evil. Because all of the other characters, the dwarves, Snow White herself, just sort of ciphers, right? Unlike Hansel and Gretel, which I could barely get through because I was so upset for these poor little children. Snow White, who's seven in the story and pursued by huntsmen, well, that's a bummer, (laughs) right? But the evil queen, like, ugh. I had, again, this very emotional, visceral response to her. Yeah. And then we watched the
0: Disney movie and kind of felt even worse because it seems to be pushing this very stereotypical housewife sort of personification onto Snow. And they cut out some of the repetitive attempts on Snow's life to replace it with just the dwarfs being goofy. And I know now with them doing the live action, there's been a bit of tension in terms of, hey, are these dwarves like fantasy dwarves or are these dwarves like short people? And so people like the actor who plays Tyrion Lannister in Game of Thrones are not super thrilled about that. Like, why is it called Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs? It's a bit of a mess.
1: Yeah. And on a really superficial level, I was kind of shocked to discover how much I hated almost all of the music in the movie. Uh I was like, wow, the characters in this are colorless and kind of vapid. And so is almost all of the music. In comparison to newer Disney films where, you know, Race, I'm not a big Broadway musical kind of person. Show tunes are not my thing. But the tunes are always catchy right? And some of them are really compelling. And I was excited to watch it with you. I didn't remember ever having seen it. It's, again, the first animated full-length feature film. I love animation. I was like watching my watch. I'm like, when is this going (laughs) to be over? In
0: fairness, this was the very first animation they did, right? This kicked off the whole thing. It's very much a product of its times. But, yeah, I certainly don't have any rose-colored glasses looking at this one. It has not aged well.
1: And I think when we get into actually talking about images of the feminine, I think the Disney movie really feels pretty atrocious at that
2: point.
0: I mean, I'm aware of people who will not let their children watch this Disney film specifically their daughters watch it because it has such a bad depiction of women from all sides
1: yes but we'll we're gonna save that for next month and maybe we'll dive into our story and archetypal evil for now yeah so without further ado we've got
0: little snow white from household tales by brothers Grimm. Once upon a time, in the middle of winter, when the flakes of snow were falling like feathers from the sky, a queen sat at a window sewing, and the frame of the window was made of black ebony. And whilst she was sewing and looking out of the window at the snow, she pricked her finger with the needle, and three drops of blood fell upon the snow. And the red looked pretty upon the white snow, and she thought to herself,
3: Would that I had a child as white as snow, as red as blood, and as black as the wood of the window frame. Soon after that, she had a daughter, who was as
0: white as snow and as red as blood, and her hair was as black as ebony, and she was therefore called Little Snow White. And when the child was born, the queen died. After a year had passed, the king took to himself another wife. She was a beautiful woman, but proud and haughty, and she could not bear that anyone else should surpass her in beauty. She had a wonderful looking-glass, and when she stood in front of it and looked at herself in it and said, Looking-glass, looking-glass on the wall, who in this land is the fairest of all? The looking-glass answered,
2: Thou, O queen, art the fairest of all.
0: And she was satisfied, for she knew that the looking-glass spoke the truth. But Snow White was growing up, and grew more and more beautiful. And when she was seven years old, she was as beautiful as the day, and more beautiful than the queen herself. And once when the queen asked her looking-glass, Looking-glass, looking-glass on the wall, who in this land is the fairest of all? It answered,
2: Thou art fairer than all who are here, Queen, but more beautiful still is snow white asylum. then
0: the queen was shocked and turned yellow and green with envy from that hour whenever she looked at snow white her heart heaved in her breast she hated the girl so much and envy and pride grew higher and higher in her heart like a weed so that she had no peace day or night she called a huntsman and said Take the child into the forest. I will no longer have her in my sight. Kill her and bring me back her heart as a token. The huntsman obeyed and took her away, but when he had drawn his knife and was about to pierce Snow White's innocent heart, she began to weep and said,
3: Ah, dear huntsman, leave me my life. I will run away into the wild forest and never come home again.
0: And as she was so beautiful, the huntsman had pity on her and said,
2: ''Run away then, you poor child. The wild beasts will soon have devoured you,'' thought he,
0: and yet it seemed as if a stone had been rolled from his heart since it was no longer needful for him to kill her. And as a young boar just then came running by, he stabbed it and cut out its heart and took it to the queen as proof that the child was dead. The cook had to salt this, and the wicked queen ate it, and thought she had eaten the heart of Snow White.'' But now the poor child was all alone in the great forest, and so terrified that she looked at every leaf of every tree, and did not know what to do. Then she began to run, and ran over sharp stones and through thorns, and the wild beasts ran past her, but did her no harm. She ran as long as her feet would go, until it was almost evening, and then she saw a little cottage, and went into it to rest herself. Everything in the cottage was small. But neater and cleaner than can be told. There was a table on which was a white cover, and seven little plates, and on each plate a little spoon. Moreover, there were seven little knives and forks, and seven little mugs. Against the wall stood seven little beds, side by side, and covered with snow white counterpanes. Little Snow White was so hungry and thirsty that she ate some vegetables and bread from each plate, and drank a drop of wine out of each mug for she did not wish to take all from one only. Then, as she was so tired, she laid herself down on one of the little beds, but none of them suited her. One was too long, another too short, but at last she found that the seventh one was right. And so she remained in it, said a prayer, and went to sleep. When it was quite dark, the owners of the cottage came back. They were seven dwarfs who dug and delved in the mountains for ore. They lit their seven candles, and as it was now light within the cottage, they saw that someone had been there, for everything was not in the same order in which they had left it. The first said,
2: Who has been sitting on my chair? The second. Who has been eating off my plate? The third. Who has been taking some of my bread? The fourth. Who has been eating my vegetables? The fifth. Who has been using my fork? The sixth who has been cutting with my knife? The seventh, who has been drinking out of my mug? And the first looked round and
0: saw that there was a little hole on his bed. And he said, who has been getting into my bed? The others came up and each called out, somebody has been lying in my bed too. But the seventh, when he looked at his bed, saw a little snow white who was lying asleep therein. And he called the others who came running up, and they cried out with astonishment, and brought their seven little candles, and let the light fall on little Snow White. "'Oh heavens, O oh heavens!' cried they.
2: "'What a lovely child!'
0: And they were so glad that they did not wake her up, but let her sleep on in the bed. And the seventh dwarf slept with his companions one hour with each, and so got through the night. When it was morning, little Snow White awoke and was frightened when she saw the seven dwarfs, but they were friendly and asked her what her name was. My name is Snow White, she answered.
2: How have you come to our house?
0: said the dwarfs. Then she told them that her stepmother had wished to have her killed, but that the huntsman had spared her life, and that she had run for the whole day until at last she had found their dwelling. The dwarfs said,
2: If you will take care of our house, cook, Make the beds, wash, sew, and knit, and if you will keep everything neat and clean, you can stay with us, and you shall want for nothing.
0: Yes, said Snow White, with all my heart. And she stayed with them. She kept the house in order for them. In the mornings they went to the mountains and looked for copper and gold. In the evenings they came back, and then their supper had to be ready. The girl was alone the whole day,
2: so the good dwarfs warned her and said, "'Beware of your stepmother. "'She will soon know that you are here. "'Be sure to let no one come in.' "'But the queen,
0: believing that she had eaten Snow White's heart, "'could not but think that she was again "'the first and most beautiful of all. "'And she went to her looking-glass and said, "'Looking-glass, looking-glass on the wall, "'who in this land is the fairest of all?' "'And the glass answered,
2: O queen, thou art fairest of all, I see, but over the hills where the seven dwarfs dwell, Snow White is still alive and well, and none is so fair as she.
0: Then she was astounded, for she knew that the looking-glass never spoke falsely, and she knew that the huntsman had betrayed her, and that little Snow White was still alive. And so she thought and thought again how she might kill her, for so long as she was not the fairest in the whole land, envy let her have no rest. And when she had at last thought of something to do, she painted her face and dressed herself like an old peddler woman, and no one could have known her. In this disguise, she went over the seven mountains to the seven dwarfs and knocked at the door and cried,
3: Pretty little things to sell, very cheap, very cheap.
0: Little Snow White looked out of the window and called out,
3: "'Good day, my good woman. What have you to sell?' "'Good things, pretty things,' she answered. "'Stay laces of all colors?'
0: And she pulled out one which was woven of bright-colored silk.
3: "'I may let the worthy old woman in,'
0: thought Snow White. And she unbolted the door and bought the pretty laces.
3: "'Child,'
0: said the old woman.
3: What a fright you look! Come, I will lace you
0: properly for once. Snow White had no suspicion, but stood before her and let herself be laced with the new laces. But the old woman laced so quickly and so tightly that Snow White lost her breath and fell down as if dead.
3: Now I am the most beautiful, said the
0: queen to herself, and ran away. Not long afterwards, in the evening, the seven dwarfs came home. But how shocked they were when they saw their dear little Snow White lying on the ground, and that she neither stirred nor moved and seemed to be dead. They lifted her up, and as they saw that she was laced too tightly, they cut the laces. Then she began to breathe a little, and after a while came to life again. When the dwarfs heard what had happened, they said, The old peddler woman
2: was no one else than the wicked queen. Take care, and let no one come in when we are not with you. But the wicked woman, when she had reached home,
0: went in front of the glass and asked, Looking-glass, looking-glass on the wall, who in this land is the fairest of all? And it answered as before,
2: O oh queen, thou art fairest of all, I see. But over the hills, where the seven works dwell, Snow-white is still alive and well, and none is so fair as she
0: When she heard that, all her blood rushed to her heart with fear, for she saw plainly that little Snow White was again alive. But now, she said, I will think of something that shall put an end to you. And by the help of witchcraft which she understood, she made a poisonous comb. Then she disguised herself and took the shape of another old woman. So she went over the seven mountains to the seven dwarfs, knocked at the door and cried,
3: "'Good things to sell. Cheap, cheap.'
0: Little Snow White looked out and said,
3: "'Go away. I cannot let anyone come in.' "'I suppose you can look,' said the old woman, and pulled
0: the poisonous comb out and held it up. It pleased the girl so well that she let herself be beguiled and opened the door. When they had made a bargain, the old woman said,
3: "'Now I will comb you properly for once.'
0: Poor little Snow White had no suspicion and let the old woman do as she pleased, but hardly had she put the comb in her hair than the poison in it took effect, and the girl fell down senseless. "'You paragon of beauty,' said the wicked woman. "'You are done for now,' and she went away. But fortunately it was almost evening, and when the seven dwarfs came home, when they saw Snow White lying as if dead upon the ground— they at once suspected the stepmother, and they looked and found the poison comb. Scarcely had they taken it out when Snow White came to herself and told them what had happened. Then they warned her once more to be upon her guard and to open the door to no one. The queen, at home, went in front of the glass and said,
3: Looking glass, looking glass
0: on the wall, who in this land is the fairest of all? And it answered as before,
2: O Queen, thou art fairest of all I see, but over the hills where the seven dwarfs well, Snow White is still alive and well, and none is so fair as she.
0: When she heard the glass speak thus, she trembled and shook with rage. Snow White shall die, she cried, even if it cost me my life. Thereupon she went into a quite secret, lonely room, where no one ever came and there she made a very poisonous apple. Outside it looked pretty white, with a red cheek, so that everyone who saw it longed for it, but whoever ate a piece of it must surely die. When the apple was ready, she painted her face and dressed herself up as a country woman. And so she went over the seven mountains to the seven dwarfs. She knocked
3: at the door. Snow White put her head out of the window and said, "'I cannot let anyone in. The seven dwarfs have forbidden me.' "'It is all the same to me,' answered the woman. "'I shall soon get rid of my apples. There, I will give you one.' "'No,' said Snow White, "'I dare not take anything.' "'Are you afraid of poison?' said the old woman. "'Look, I will cut the apple in two pieces. "'You eat the red cheek, and I will eat the white.' The apple was
0: so cunningly made that only the red cheek was poisoned. Snow White longed for the fine apple, and when she saw that the woman ate part of it, she could resist no longer, and stretched out her hand and took the poisonous half. But hardly had she a bit of it in her mouth than she fell down dead. The queen looked at her with a dreadful look, and laughed aloud and said, (laughs)
3: <laughs> White as snow, red as blood, black as ebony wood, this time the dwarfs cannot wake you up again.
0: And when she asked of the looking-glass at home, Looking-glass, looking-glass on the wall, who in this land is the fairest of all? It answered at last,
2: O oh, queen, in this land, thou art fairest of all.
0: Then her envious heart had rest so far as an envious heart can have rest. The dwarfs, when they came home in the evening, found Snow White lying upon the ground. She breathed no longer and was dead. They lifted her up, looked to see whether they could find anything poisonous, unlaced her, combed her hair, washed her with water and wine, but it was all of no use. The poor child was dead and remained dead. They laid her upon a bier, and all seven of them sat round it and wept for her and wept three days long. Then they were going to bury her, but she still looked as if she were living, and still had her pretty red cheeks. They said, we could not bury her in the dark ground, and they had a transparent coffin of glass made, so that she could be seen from all sides, and they laid her in it, and wrote her name upon it in golden letters, and that she was a king's daughter. Then they put the coffin out upon the mountain, and one of them always stayed by it and watched it. And birds came to and wept for Snow White, first an owl, then a raven, and last a dove. And now Snow White lay a long, long time in the coffin, and she did not change, but looked as if she were asleep, for she was as white as snow, as red as blood, and her hair was as black as ebony. It happened, however, that a king's son came into the forest and went to the dwarf's house to spend the night. He saw the coffin on the mountain and the beautiful snow white within it, and read what was written upon it in golden letters. Then he said to the dwarfs,
2: Let me have the coffin. I will give you whatever you want for it. But the dwarfs answered, We will not part with it for all the gold in the world. Then he said, Let me have it as a..." Gift, for I cannot live without seeing Snow White. I will honor and prize her as my dearest possession. As he spoke
0: in this way, the good dwarfs took pity upon him and gave him the coffin. And now the king's son had it carried away by his servants on their shoulders, and it happened that they stumbled over a tree stump, and with the shock, the poisonous piece of apple, which Snow White had bitten off, came out of her throat, and before long she opened her eyes. "'lifted up the lid of the coffin, sat up, and was once more alive. "'Oh, heavens, where am I?' she cried. "'The king's son, full of joy, said, "'You are with me,' and told her what had happened, and said, "'I love you more than
2: everything in the world.
0: "'Come with me to my father's palace, and you shall be my wife.' "'And Snow White was willing, and went with him.' And their wedding was held with great show and splendor. But Snow White's wicked stepmother was also bidden to the feast. When she had arrayed herself in beautiful clothes, she went before the Looking Glass and said, Looking Glass, Looking Glass on the wall, who in this land is the fairest of all? The glass answered,
2: O Queen, of all here the fairest art thou, but the young Queen is fairer by far as I am.
0: Then the wicked woman uttered a curse and was so wretched, so utterly wretched, that she knew not what to do. At first she would not go to the wedding at all, but she had no peace and must go to see the young queen. And when she went in, she knew Snow White and she stood still with her rage and fear and could not stir. But iron slippers had already been put upon the fire and they were brought in with tongs and set before her. Then she was forced to put on the red hot shoes and dance until she dropped down dead. The end.
1: All right. So this story starts with a queen wishing for a beautiful daughter. She has little Snow White and dies and the king remarries. So here we are again. There's an evil stepmother and an absent father. I can hear Raysa sighing in the background.
0: Yeah. So look, I don't want to beat a dead horse here, but I can't help that this keeps showing up. It's really, it's just, it's everywhere. I mean, I know, as you say, there are these archetypal things that we don't have to interpret it as the stepmother is always going to be awful, but I think it certainly doesn't do helpful things for people that actually do end up with a parent. if this is sort of the imagery they see all the time. They once again, don't mention the father after he remarries. I don't know if kings don't matter (laughs) or what, but it always seems like the father just disappears and whether he's nobility or a king or whatever, nope, just gone. Don't know if he died, just absent. And so this evil queen stepmother is able to just insert herself in. One thing I do want to touch on though is just what, what's with the three drops of blood? So this is this is our first instance of seeing the three drops of blood in terms of Snow White's mother pricking her finger on the needle, three drops of blood and she has that line about wishing for a daughter. They don't explicitly say it this way, but basically like skin is white as snow. Cheeks as red as blood and hair as black as ebony, right? But three drops of blood shows up again in another story. And I wonder how many stories it shows up again. We talked about three being a magic number or mentioned it.
1: Always, right? Anything in threes or sevens, something important is going on here.
0: So then it being blood, that magic is like somehow a curse or a death sentence?
1: Yeah. So. What strikes me, and this is a little off the wall, but I'm in addition to doing this podcast and, you know, working for a living, I also am doing a uh, thing where you read through the Hebrew Bible one chapter at a time. And right now we're in Leviticus, and one of the commentators talked about how biblically Blood and life are completely intertwined. And there's this tremendous biblical energy around blood, because if it's shed, that is death. And so in Leviticus, Jews are commanded not to eat animals if there is any blood left in the animal. There's all of these prohibitions around menstruation. There are all kinds of very specific rules around what you do with blood when an animal is sacrificed. And all of it has to do with this dividing line between life and death. So it may be archetypally, or it may simply be that the unknown creators of these stories had read their Hebrew Bible. um, This idea that that blood and life or blood and death are intertwined is very ancient.
0: Well, we certainly know that Grimm are pretty embedded in Christian values, etc. So I wouldn't be surprised if there is that kind of connection there. I mean, we actually saw, I forget if we mentioned it, but in Hansel and Gretel, there was a lot of very Christian elements.
1: And I think in the Christ story, there's a lot about the blood of Christ, Mm. again, having to do with this line between life and death. So it may very well be that these drops of blood signify, okay, this is not a story about a princess and a romance. This is a story about life and death. Well, yeah, that was just something that struck me. But
0: I will let you move on to the vain motivations that are going on in this story.
1: Vain as in V-A-I-N, not V-E-I-N. Indeed. All right. So we have a stepmother who cannot bear that anyone would be more beautiful than she. She's described as jealous and haughty. In this story, like Cinderella, we're going to see the corrosive power of envy. The queen has a mirror who she repeatedly asks, who is the fairest in the land? Over and over again, the mirror reassures the queen until finally one day it cannot reassure her and it says that Snow White is more beautiful. This seems symbolic to me of one of the ways that the polarity of shame and arrogance manifest themselves in psyche. We can be most arrogant about the things that we are also most insecure about. So, for example, not the case in this story, but if we're insecure about our intelligence, we're also going to probably be the ones who go take the test to be in Mensa and who brag about our intellectual accomplishments. But really underneath all of that puffed upness, that inflation is this core of shame. And I think that's the same thing that we're seeing in The Evil Queen. She's arrogant and puffed up about her beauty, but you can see this core of anxiety and shame because she has to keep going to the mirror to check. So just as the Queen hates Snow White for having what she wants, beauty, and is so uncertain of having so do we often hate those who have something we want and aren't sure that we can have. So that jealousy is, is a slippery slope towards hate. And I think we'll really see that in this story. I just, I have to think of the Star Wars
0: Yoda line, fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, hate leads to suffering. It's just, mm-hmm. it's the first thing that pops in my head.
1: hmm And- Fear of not being beautiful leads to anger leads to hate and leads to tremendous suffering for the evil queen almost more than any she tries to inflict it on others, but it really ends up being so Thank you Yoda once again source <laughs> of great wisdom so at this point as soon as the mirror says, oh there's somebody more beautiful than you even though that somebody is her step daughter and is seven years old, the queen promptly orders the huntsman to kill Snow. But he, being a more ordinary human with his, you know, whatever, more ordinary human qualities, can't kill this innocent seven-year-old child. And instead, he kills a pig and brings either the lung and the liver or the heart depending on the version of the story, back to the queen to say, here, see, I killed her. She's dead. And at this point, the story takes an enormously dark turn. I mean, it's already been pretty, hasn't exactly been a, you know, sweetness and light, but she horrifyingly, the queen eats the lung and the liver, believing that she is eating the lung and liver of Snow White.
0: Yeah, this is where we have slightly different translations, as you said. The one that I read for our listeners only describes a heart, which is still gross, even salted, as described in the story.
1: Wait, wait a minute. She actually salted the heart before she ate it? Oh, yeah. She had the cooks prepare this thing. Yeah. What kind of rage would lead us to want to actually devour our enemies and to make them a tasty little treat for us as we devour them. I mean, that's very, very creepy. (laughs) To not just destroy them, but to eat their organs. I would argue that this is really different than the bad behavior of all of the previous villains we've encountered. Rapunzel's mother was greedy, her father was cowardly, And the witch simply wanted to keep Rapunzel away from the world. Those are all sort of ordinary human flaws. Cinderella's stepmother and stepsisters were very jealous, but they weren't cannibals. And even Hansel and Gretel's heartless, abandoning parents were acting out of desperation. They didn't know what else to do. The evil queen, I think, goes beyond rage and into the realm of evil.
0: Yeah, I mean, Cinderella was a story of envy, and to some extent, this is a bit of a story of envy, but it just hits a whole new level entirely. The stepmother and sisters, as you say, just wanted Cinderella to be beneath them, right? And to make fun of her and have her as a servant and all these things, like, cruel, but... This one in Snow is just, she's a single minded killer. I mean, we mentioned the devouring mother in Hansel and Gretel. I mean, I didn't think that would show up in such a literal way here. There are or have been cultures historically that had some kind of devouring one's enemies within their practices, but that was much more of a battle sort of take upon your opponent's strength, in some ways, almost a respect?
1: I think it was. I think it was a symbolic, my opponent had a certain kind of courage, right? a certain kind of strength, and I want to take that in. This is, I want to sadistically obliterate my enemy, Yeah, who I have no reason to be enemies with, and who was no threat to me.
0: I mean, she perceives a threat that the mirror says snow is more beautiful than her, which goes back to why people don't like this depiction of women, because the only motivation for the evil queen is that snow is more beautiful than her. But to then have murdered and then try and eat the heart of seven-year-old girl, it's really, really out there like no other Disney villain Does something like this.
1: Yeah. And I honestly think the salting actually makes it worse because she intended to take pleasure in the devour. Yeah. You know, it's like you say, cold. Yeah. Rage is out of control anger, rage is the hottest of hot emotions. When we rage, we're extremely destructive. Evil is premeditated and calculating. It's cold. Rage is really common. I mean, as a professional, I have worked with, I mean, I've honestly worked with people who were murderers in a rage and who 20 some years later got out of jail and weren't anymore. They were human beings. The evil queen leaves the realm of humanity to become pure evil. And it raises the question, and I think this is a question that Jungians really struggle with, is is evil archetypal? Is it shadow, which we're trying to integrate, which we're trying to get to know, or is it archetypal? Is it something we cannot integrate? Something that is actually deeper and larger than our... Short, small human life. Marie Louise von Franz, in her book *Shadow and Evil in Fairy Tales*, says yes. She says even nature has evil components, and she gives this horrifying example of that swans will sometimes get stuck in the ice in the winter and will die with their feet stuck in the ice. It's just—it's too horrifying to think about. And she argues that there are certain aspects of psyche, namely archetypal evil, that we should not attempt to integrate or even look at too closely. She says when we come upon these things like the swans in the ice, like an evil queen who will salt and eat the heart of a seven-year-old, we shouldn't even look at them too closely. We should avert our eyes and try to stay as far away from them as possible. That is the best that we can do, because if we look at it too closely, we are in danger of being possessed by it. The queen does the opposite of Marie-Louise von Franz's advice. She looks over and over and over again into her mirror until her jealousy and rage devour her, and she is possessed by archetypal evil. I was working on this in the days immediately following the mass shooting in Buffalo and in Evaldi, and it really struck me that there's a modern-day equivalent to this possession by archetypal evil, and it is the mass shooter, and the mass shooter who keeps going back to the same Reddit or the same 4chan webpage over and over and over again and getting their little evil impulse grows and grows and grows and gradually takes possession of them. They become more, quote unquote, radicalized. The mirror of the internet can magnify the rage and envy of the mass shooter in a similar way to the evil queen's magic mirror. Yeah, I think
0: the internet can do that in all kinds of different aspects. And and one that certainly doesn't result in as much death, but can be damaging for people is if we think of Instagram beauty ideals and how cosmetic facial surgeries are up since the pandemic because of everyone seeing their face in Zoom all the time, which by the way, you can turn that off. People are not meant to look at themselves that much. I think as we see in this story, you shouldn't. That The only time you would Who historically see yourself is in a body of water, right? Mirrors weren't super common for quite a long time. And even now we have mirrors, but it wasn't until this constant remote Zoom calls where you're seeing your face. And many people, I'm sure you're not even looking at the other people in the call as much as you should because you've got this little image of yourself. So you can make sure you look okay. And that's what we tend to focus on. Seeing that constantly, now you're like, okay, well, this thing that I don't like about the way I look, just I've got to change it.
1: And from a Jungian point of view, that destruction directed towards the self, and I think less of maybe cosmetic surgery and more of eating disorders Sure, that I think are really inflamed by beauty culture, that's just as much. Murder as murdering somebody else because it's self murder. You know, you're still killing a human being. Anyway, in general, Jungians believe that we're supposed to get to know and integrate all of the aspects of our psyche, including our shadow. And just to kind of review, shadow consists of the parts of ourselves that we consider undesirable or shameful. This may include our greed, our anger, even our heightened sensitivity to the feelings of others, depending on how we were raised. It's the opposite of our persona. Persona is the part we hope to display to the outer world. And just to give an example of shadow and persona, let's take an older man whose persona is of a man who's extremely rational, thoughtful, he functions out of logic. In his shadow was an out-of-control, unconscious temper that would just burst forth and wasn't integrated at all, and so it was very explosive. As a Jungian, I would argue he shouldn't reject his temper, but he needs to get to know it and integrate it into its psyche so it can become more mature. So it doesn't explode in this childish way, but becomes more manageable, even a useful kind of aggression. Yeah, I'm
0: just I'm not sure how I can understand how aggression could be useful. You know this, but our, our listeners don't. I stream a game called Hearthstone on Twitch. It's a card game. And as part of that, I feel like I spend so much of my energy just trying to stay positive and not tilt on stream. Uh, tilt? What is that? Ah, so <laughs> sometimes I forget things are gaming terms. So, tilt is what we use to refer to anger at things that we consider sort of beyond our control. So, in my case of a card game, it'd be something like an opponent having the perfect draws or me drawing very poorly. Some people kind of embrace that tilt as part of their content. There's an understanding of people are entertained by someone getting angry or another word we use to refer to it as salty on stream, but I always try and keep a positive environment. And so if something you know hits me especially hard or I feel like something was unlucky and I know I'm maybe getting a little bristly, then I'll take a bathroom break or go get some more tea or something just to kind of shake it off because If you play into the tilt, then you're just going to keep tilting and probably play poorly for it as well.
1: So I think that's an example of how out of control anger is destructive to ourselves. Playing into the tilt is letting your anger take control over you. Obviously, we all know out of control anger is also destructive to our loved ones, to the world, and apparently to streaming card games. (laughs) On the other hand, anger and aggression are necessary parts of psyche. They let us know, they give us information when a boundary has been violated. I might not notice, oh, you did something really inappropriate or inexcusable to me if I didn't get angry. That's like my early warning system. We wouldn't be able to fight for justice for ourselves or for others without aggression. That's something that does
0: ring with me. I can understand that.
1: Because protests are out of... Out of aggression. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Self-defense is out of aggression. Sure. Archetypal evil is not like this. Like the evil queen, it will devour us if we let it get too close. It cannot be transformed. We can only resist or run away. Von Franz notes, we can be completely possessed by evil powers. And in case you were wondering, archetypal evil is not only found in feminine images. The masculine face of archetypal evil can be found in one instance in the case of Bluebeard, who murders any woman he can lure onto his boat. But I think the essence of archetypal evil is that it murders without cause and without end.
0: I don't think I've heard of Bluebeard.
1: Ah, okay. So Bluebeard was is a story, and I really don't know if it contains a kernel of historical fact or not. I'm not positive. But Bluebeard was a pirate who lured woman after woman to marry her and then murder her onto his pirate ship. Jeez. Until he finally... Picks the wrong woman. And I'll let everybody read that story on their own. (laughs) It's like a Jack the Ripper of the ocean. Exactly. Yes. Yes. All right. So back to Snow White. The queen believes that she has eaten Snow White's lung and liver or heart, depending on. She believes she has no more rival in her drive to be the most beautiful in the land. But something drives her back to the mirror. And the mirror tells her that snow is still alive. Once she knows that snow is alive, her jealousy, the source or the flame for her evil won't let her rest. She has no more conscious control over herself. She has given herself up to the possession of an archetype, in this case, envy and evil, and can only do its bidding. And a more modern example that I think of is that Hitler, probably our biggest example of archetypal evil in modern history, his obsession with the mass murder, with the annihilation of European Jewry, took necessary resources away from his war effort. And it contributed to Germany losing World War II. They actually took resources away from the army, away from the soldiers at the front to put more Jews onto trains to send them to concentration camps and gas them. That is possession by archetypal evil. Yeah,
0: it's the strange thing of, you can imagine there was a lot of anger after World War I where they were being held down, their economy was completely obliterated. But rather than just buckle down and try and rebuild a strong economy they built a military and just exploded onto the european stage i mean i think we forget sometimes just how big their assault was they had france they had poland they were had a front with russia and the uk and north africa i mean
1: it was overwhelming The Axis powers really came very close to taking over the entire world. And I think that also is a bit of a chilling reminder of how powerful archetypal evil is and that it really can win. But
0: if there's any sort of hope, it's that it seems as though there is a tendency towards self-destruction.
1: Because perhaps archetypal evil doesn't care if it murders its host or its host murders others. And again, I think this story fits that. As we get to the end, we'll see. Yeah, I guess to
0: go back to the Snow White elements, it's an envy that drives her to check the mirror again in the first place. And then every time she checks back, she's doing so to. Confirm that her latest murder plan has worked. And so when she sees that it's failed, and she's sort of just gotten back from doing her latest plan, she's all hyped up. And I think that's part of it too, is being all hyped up. She's successful and waiting to get that gratification of being called the fairest in the land. And then the mirror says, No, Stonewhite's still alive. You're not the fairest in the land. It just magnifies every time the resulting fury, such that she keeps snowballing and festering and shifting from a motivation of envy to just wrath.
1: Yeah, I completely agree with you. And again, I think the analogy to the relationship between today's mass shooters and the internet is really apparent there. In Grimm, the queen tries to asphyxiate Snow White, not in Disney, but the dwarves are able to revive her. She immediately runs to the mirror to see if she's now the fairest in the land. The mirror again tells her that Snow is alive. Next, the evil queen makes a poisoned comb. And I want to talk a little bit about poison because I think poison really is a tool of archetypal evil. It's a place where that Murder out of rage or murder in a battlefield and murder at a pure archetypal evil. It's the place where they split. Poison has to be created, its use must be planned out and executed. Poisoning is never a crime of passion. And a case example many years ago, I worked with a young woman. The woman's father had wanted a divorce. From her mother, but had not wanted the expense and trouble of a divorce. His wife, the woman's mother, got pregnant and he put poison and put it into her prenatal vitamins with the hopes that she would crash her car and that it would look like she died in a car crash. And it only didn't work because she didn't crash at a high enough speed to have killed her. This sounds like a fairy tale, but it's not. This is a real story that I was adjacent to. It's my only personal encounter with archetypal evil. And that encounter tainted the whole family. There was nobody who wasn't altered to their depths by this experience of archetypal evil and it tainted me working with the aftermath with the fallout from this man's evil gave me the sense of opening a trap door and looking into hell you could feel the darkness
0: i honestly can't even imagine i mean that's the kind of thing that someone would put in a book and you know be criticized by some people for it being Unrealistic. They're too over the top. You sort of don't want to believe that these things do happen.
1: I think that's exactly right. I think we don't want to believe that they happen, and we don't. We don't want to be touched by them. Rightly. So, the poison comb also fails, and at this point, the queen gives herself completely over to the archetype of murder. She says. Snow White shall die, even if it costs me my life. This is a clear illustration of what archetypal possession can do. We no longer care about our embodied human form. We only live out the archetypal pattern. Archetypal possession can lead to tremendous heroism. I think of, for example, the firefighters who ran into the collapsing World Trade Center on 9-11. They were living out the savior archetype. They they transcended or immersed themselves in the savior archetype and really did something that was superhuman. But when the archetype that possesses us is evil, not only is its host destroyed, but so is that which its host touches. Snow is finally killed by the apple. The dwarves attempt to revive her and fail. They build her the famous glass coffin. And then she is bafflingly revived, not by a romantic kiss in Grimm. She is revived by the romantic kiss in Disney, but not in Grimm. But by having the prince's servants trip over a tree root, jerking the coffin and shaking the piece of apple out of her throat. What do you make of this?
0: So I think this is probably the difference that will surprise everyone the most. I know that I was super surprised. The whole centerpiece of so many things in the show Once Upon a Time that we talk about so much is this magic of true love's kiss. And we all think of the prince kissing the dead or sleeping, whatever, Snow White, Sleeping Beauty, etc., and it lifting some kind of curse. That's just not how it is. I mean, the magic's not that powerful here, in all honesty. So the fact that it's just the apple gets dislodged. I mean, if they had a Heimlich maneuver, it sounds like (laughs) snow would have been okay. It's kind of bizarre.
1: Yeah, it's always interesting to me how these evil witches in Grimm, how limited their powers are they can never just weave a spell and kill somebody from a distance nor can they free themselves from the consequences of their actions yeah they can't do that much but that's a side point i refer to it as ritual magic it's got this mm.
0: set up and it was very premeditated but in the moment there's not much you can do and then I just want to say quickly, so I don't know if that True Love's Kiss thing is in some other version that they pulled from, or if maybe it's just a Disney fabrication entirely.
1: Yeah. Neither of the Grimm's that you and I saw is it there, but there are many versions of these tales, so I'm not, I'm not sure. But if any of our listeners have a version besides Disney where it appears, they should definitely put that into the comments because I'd love to see, yeah, see it. 100%. So at this point, the queen is so tormented by envy that she cannot stay away from snow and the prince's wedding. Once she is there, she is so filled with rage she cannot move. She's forced to wear burning hot iron slippers and dance till she dies. I think the end of this story is a fitting end to possession by archetypal evil. Von Franz in her chapter on possession says, the worst thing one can meet or which I have met in my life is people who have been assimilated by these archetypes of evil power. And let's remember that Von Franz lived in Europe during World War II. The sadistic conclusion of Snow White is an example of evil being fully assimilated by evil.
0: Yeah, you mentioned how a brush with archetypal evil taints those who come into contact with it. We think of Snow White as being this pure, innocent girl, but this ending is pretty dark even as revenge goes. There's no real details, so we don't know, was it Snow who set up this trap? Was it the prince? Certainly with the prince's resources, you could imagine guards blocking off the exit once the evil queen's there, forcing her to put on the shoes. But to me, it's clearly a trap because they knew that she would have to come, and then they didn't just execute her. The iron slippers were in the fire already when she got there. And then they basically tortured her to death. She had to put on these red hot iron slippers and dance until she died.
1: Which is crueler actually than anything she did to Snow White. Yeah. I mean, it's a really, I have no other word for it, sick, distorted story. So as I was writing the notes for this episode, I noticed my own pull toward the evil in the story. And there are a lot of things I could have been drawn to. There's the really weird relationship between Snow and those seven dwarves, or even the kindness that does run through the story. There's the huntsman who cannot kill snow. Whatever the consequences to himself, he cannot kill snow. The dwarves who try, however ineffectually, to protect her. Instead, I was immediately gripped by the evil queen. And I think that this was because I was writing this in the weeks following the death of 10 black shoppers killed by a racist in Buffalo, New York, and 19 schoolchildren killed in Uvalde, Texas, for no known reason. The news has been filled with archetypal evil, and it's been hard to look away or to know how to fight. So I end by wishing everybody strength in the battle for more justice and compassion in the world.
0: Wow. I think that's very well said, and that will wrap it up for Episode 7. So thank you all for listening. Our intro-outro music is a sample of Spring Movement 1 Allegro from The Four Seasons, composed by Antonio Vivaldi and performed by John Harrison with the Wichita State University Players. You can find the full version at freemusicarchive.org, link in the show notes. And if you like what you've been hearing, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast feed of choice, as it really helps other people find the show. The show will always be free and available to all, but if you would like to monetarily support the show, you can now do so at coffee.com, that's spelled K-O-F-I, dot com slash Jungian Ever After. Also, Dr. Adita Davidson is a certified Jungian analyst who offers telesessions. You can find out more about her practice at aditadavidson.com or her Psychology Today profile. We'll be with you again next month, but until then, we hope your month is filled with exploring the worlds of imagination and storytelling.